Welcome, everyone. You are listening to Truth in Christ Radio, the Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. God is saying, I'm going to show you a place, seek the place where the Lord your God chooses. He's going to choose out of all the places to put his name there. That's important to remember. Put his name there, and it'll make more sense when we get there. Because, see, it's not up for us to make up where God should be worshipped. That would be like us saying, you know, you know, like God saying to us, you know, I want you to meet on top of the hill in Penfield on Creek and Blossom Street. And then we're saying, well, you know what, Lord, it's nice that we worship here, but let's worship out on the lake because... You know, we can have this big window and it can overlook the lake. People will come by the horde just because of how beautiful it is. That'd be a better thing than, you know, worshiping here. Let's do it by the lake. It's more beautiful. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Truth in Christ Radio for today. We learned during our last session that God was going to prescribe a place for His people to worship Him in the Promised Land. Pastor Rob teaches us today that God also directed the nation of Israel to destroy the places of idolatry that were being used by others. Pastor Rob emphasizes in his teaching that following God's will brings blessings. Genuine worship to our God is costly and very rarely convenient. Let's join Pastor Rob with today's lesson. What grace. Solomon, you've messed up really bad, but I'm going to let you go on, and you're going to die in your old age, a, a, a fleshly, satisfied man, not finishing well at all, but I'm going to do it after you pass away for my servant David's sake. And I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days, for, for the sake of your father David, I will tear it out of the hand of your son, which is Rehoboam. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. And so, you know, God has got some hard things to share with him. There's always a consequence for sin. And God in his grace is going to bring it to pass after Solomon dies. And it surely did come to pass. We know that Jeroboam, there was one kingdom of all Israel. Solomon was over it. You know, there was David and then there was Solomon. And it's right at that point where the kingdom split in two because uh, Solomon's servant, Jeroboam, uh, developed a following after him. And Solomon's son, Rehoboam, also did the same thing. And now we have two different factions going in different directions. Rehoboam would ultimately be king over Benjamin and Judah and the southern two tribes. And Jeroboam would ultimately be king over the northern ten tribes. And there'd be war between them all of the days of their lives. 
Notice what it says in 1 Kings, you know, because, again, it talks about these high hills and these, these things that they're doing, burning incense on the high hills. I mean, this is a big deal because God says, do not do this. I want you to have a place to worship, and I'm going to give you specifically where it is, what tribe it's going to be in, and who's going to serve me. All the directions were there, even to the, down, the minutest detail of the, the making of the temple, the, the things that the Levites would wear in, in, the, in the land of Judah. Very specific instructions. Notice what it says in 1 Kings chapter 14 now, beginning in verse 21. Notice Solomon's son now, Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. And Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. Notice, to put his name there. Remember that, to put his name there. We're going to come back to that shortly. He had chosen a city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Naamah and Ammonitus. Now Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins which they committed, more than all that their fathers had done. For they also built for themselves high places, there it is again, and sacred pillars and wooden images. These wooden images were statues and and images for um, the worship of Ashtaroth who was like the, uh, the consort of Baal. It was like the female version of Baal, or the female counterpart of Baal, the, the Canaanite god. And under uh, wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree, and there were also perverted persons in the land. These were male prostitutes. Where they would, uh, perverted persons, that's literally what it means. As part of their worship in these false gods, they would have male prostitutes, male prostitutes with other men with other men, right? And God calls that an abomination. They were also perverted persons in the land. They did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. You know, it's bad enough when the nations that you're going to dispossess, that they're engaged in all that stuff, and it's really a horrible thing when God's people are doing it as well. You know, that's the shame. That's the shame. And all throughout First and Second Kings, as it goes through all the different kings of Judah and Israel, they're, just, they're going like this, if you read them, and they all sound like this. It all, it all, each one of these kings, it, it sounds almost the same. It's, and here's how it goes for the rest of the kings, pretty much. It, it, it'll, it'll go something like this. And king so-and-so began to reign so many years and did that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord, but did not remove the high places, etc., or he might have done good things, but he didn't remove the high places. It was all, you can hear that phrase over and over again in First and Second Kings. They, they didn't do the job. They didn't finish it. They didn't finish it. But when Josiah was born, turn with me to Second Kings. And you know what? We're going to have to, um, I'm going to summarize this the best I can. Um, I would have you read Second Kings chapter 23. Read the whole thing, from, or at least verse 1 through 25, because Josiah was a reformer king. And he had this heart to just, when he, he came to the power when he was eight years old, and when he got a little older, Hilkiah, one of the priests, found a book of the law in the temple that had been lost. Now, this, little, this young man reads this, and the Lord convicts his heart, and it sets him on a blaze of fire. His heart is completely consumed with doing the right thing because he's looking around and he's thinking, we're falling apart. We're falling prey to our enemies. We're going through this. We're going through that. It's because we have sinned and God says to do this. And so this is what we're going to do. And he has the gall and the, and the fortitude to read it and say, this is what we're going to do. We're going to implement it now. And, and he cleans house. 
He clean, literally cleans house. He goes through all the land of Israel, and he has people tear that altar down, tear that wooden statue down, take all the stuff, burn it, throw it out, get this out of the temple. You get this out of the temple. And he literally just scraped the land full of its idols and full of its idolatry. And he did it. And they had a Passover that was one of the most beautiful and most glorious Passovers Israel had ever seen because of this young man who had a heart after God, completely consumed by the holiness of God. And the Bible says in in, in these verses here that we're not going to read because we don't have time, it says that there was not a king like him before him or after him. He was just bent on doing the right thing. And unfortunately, by the time Josiah came into power, there had been so much sin of all the kings of Israel and Judah behind him that by the time Josiah came and did his reform, even though God honored him and honored Israel in it, it was a little too late. By that time, they had still gone so far and it wasn't. And after Josiah died, they went right back into their evil ways again. And that's when they got led away captive to Babylon. Sad, isn't it? But what an interesting young man. I'd encourage you to read it because it'll encourage you. Because this is what the mark of a person who is, has a heart after God. He was like David. You know, David made his mistakes. But Josiah, he was just one of those guys. He just stuck his nose to the grindstone and he did the right thing. And he just didn't care what he had to do. And I tell you, we need people like that today because so many people are just rolling over, just rolling over and letting all of our culture just spew all over them. Oh, it'll be okay. They didn't really mean it. No, they really meant it, and they're doing it. And what are you going to do about it? Now, we don't have to fight back in the flesh, but we should fight back in prayer at least and use our words, kind in love and compassion, tell the truth in love. God doesn't call us to pull out guns and swords. He doesn't need that. But he does call us to pray and to be truthful in love, to love people, to tell them the truth. If you really love somebody, you will tell them the truth, even if it hurts, even if it creates problems in the intermediate. Ultimately, God will honor your, your um, decision, your, your will to, to do the right thing. It, it, it's just the way it is. And I try to live by that. I've made a lot of mistakes, and I'll make some more, I'm sure. Actually, I know I will. <laughs> That's just part part and parcel for being a human being, even a born-again believer. None of us are perfect. But look at verse 3, and it says, and you shall, dest-, we're back in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 12, he says, and you shall destroy their altars and break their sacred pillars and burn their wooden images with fire. You shall cut down the carved images of their gods, destroy their names from that place. And in Judges chapter 6, Gideon did that very thing. You remember his father you can, you can look at this passage. We're not going to go there. But in uh, Judges chapter 6, beginning in verse 25 through 32, that it's the, the record of Gideon. His father was a Baal worshiper. And one day, the, the Lord speaks to Gideon and says, I want you to break down your father's idols or his altar, and I want you to burn it all, and I want you to make a new altar and sacrifice a calf on it, sacrifice a, a, an ox on it. And it got him into a lot of trouble with some people, but his father stood up for him because his father knew in his heart of hearts that this wasn't the right thing. But Gideon had a heart after God, similar to Josiah, more fearful perhaps, and, and struggling in faith a little bit because he was just a young man in a very small tribe in a very small house. And God was calling him to go out against the Midianites, a very large people. And he's like, God, you've got to show yourself because I'm, uh, show me something. Show me a sign, and that's where the fleece came about and all of that. And you can read about that. But what a wonderful example he is. And then in verse 4, it says, You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. God has a plan. 
You don't worship him the way that people, uh, pagan nations, worship their gods. God has a specific way. But notice in verse 5, but you shall seek the place, notice, seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all your tribes to put his name for his dwelling place, and there you shall go. And this idea, if you look at it, um, if you want to just take a a pencil and circle these verses, because verse 5, verse 11, and circle verse 14, circle verse 18, circle, I can't even speak tonight, circle uh, verse 21 and verse 26, because they all have a, are basically saying the same thing. God is saying, I'm going to show you a place. Seek the place where the Lord your God chooses. He's going to choose out of all the places to put his name there. That's important to remember. Put his name there, and it'll make more sense when we get there. Because, see, it's not up for us to make up where God should be worshipped. That would be like us saying, you know, you know, like God saying to us, you know, I want you to meet on top of the hill in Penfield on Creek and Blossom Street. And then we're saying, well, you know what, Lord, it's nice that we worship here, but let's worship out on the lake because... You know, we can have this big window, and it can overlook the lake. People will come by the horde just because of how beautiful it is. That would be a better thing than, you know, worshiping here. Let's do it by the lake. It's more beautiful. Great idea, but it's not going to—God's blessing is not going to be on it. You might have a lot of people coming, but you're out of the will of God, and he's not going to bless it. (laughs) So what's the point? Why have a bunch of people, not the blessing of God? Wouldn't you rather have a few people and have the blessing of God than the opposite? It's a decision we have to make. But real worship is costly, and it's very rarely convenient. In 1 Kings uh, chapter 12, beginning in verse 25, uh, we see this. Jeroboam, it says in verse 25, it says, Jeroboam built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim, and he dwelt there. And he went out from there and built Penuel, and Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. Because at this point, there was a division between Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And Jeroboam was getting nervous because if if all the Jews are going to worship, they're going to worship where? In Judah, in Jerusalem. he, He wants to take this and be king over these northern ten tribes, right? And it was prophesied that that was going to happen. But he began to worry because... If people are going to worship, then they're going to make this trek all the way down to Jerusalem again to worship. So he devised a plan. <laughs> Therefore, the king asked advice. Make, made, made two calves of gold and said to the people, It's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set up the one in Bethel and the other one in Dan. And now this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. And he made shrines on the high places and made priests from every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi. And we'll just stop right there with, with, this, with this event. But you know what? It, it, it was convenient. It was convenient to have two centers now, one in Bethel just north of, of Jerusalem and then one way north up near Lebanon on the border of Lebanon and Israel in the, in the town of Dan. And if you go, if you go to Israel, we visit that, that altar I've seen it twice up there, and it's still there. The remnants of it are still there where they worship this golden calf, one of them. And it's still there. You can visit it. You can sit down where they had the, the altar. It's really fascinating to see. But it wasn't good enough, you know, for Jeroboam. He had to make it convenient for people to worship. But God said in Leviticus chapter 17, he says, you must worship 
at my tabernacle. And whatever man of the house of Israel who kills an ox or a lamb or goat in the camp or who kills it outside the camp but does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, the guilt of bloodshed should be imputed to that man. God wanted them to worship in a specific place, in a specific location, specific town, Jerusalem. That's where he is, that's where the, 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 everything was there. All the instruments, the altar, the, the priest, the service, it was all ordered for them. All they had to do is be obedient. But isn't it just like human nature to think of convenience? I can do it better. You know, we could do this thing so much more slick. We could have like a drive through thing happening. You know, just hang your goat out the window of the car, cut its throat, spill out the blood, you know, hand it to the priest. He cuts it and does all the stuff. We, we're in the car still. The kids are screaming. You know, you know the blood is everywhere. <laughs> McDonald's! No. And, you know, I mean, but no, God says do it this specific way. Notice in verse 7, And there you shall eat before the Lord your God and rejoice in all to which you have put your hand, you and your households, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. And see, that's the, that's the danger. And at this time in, in their history, that's what they were doing, doing whatever was right in their own eyes. And, you know, it's one thing, and in, in, um, you can look at, oh, boy, time, in Judges chapter 2, 16 through 19, when you get a chance tonight, just take a look at that. But we'll, we'll just go right to Judges chapter 21, uh, verse 25, because it's the very last chapter, the very last verse of the book of Judges. And what does it say? So we got this, you know, uh, Joshua has already gotten to the land. They've divided the land. Now the Judges, uh, you know, the, the, that, that has happened. And at the end of all of that, at the end of all of that, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And it's true today. Everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. That's why they're choosing all these different weird religions, crazy things. You know, some of them just don't, they don't make sense. They don't make sense. Does God call you to blow yourself up? Does he call you to sacrifice your flesh? Does he cause you to, I mean, we have to crucify our, our flesh, right? But, but it's not literally crucify, right? We have to put those things of our nature, our old nature, we've got to put them away. We've got to crucify them, but we, we don't stand on a cross ourselves. God wants you to live. He wants you to live. But yet there are religions that make you pay the price, this is what you've got to do to be right for God. God says, well, i got one better. How about I do it all, and you just receive it by faith, by believing, believing in what I did. That is the best deal going. <laughs> no other world religion is like that. Because God, a relationship with him is not a religion. It's a, it's a relationship between you and your heavenly Father who loves you, who loves you with an everlasting love. So back in verse 9, it says, As for yet you have not come to the rest and the inheritance which the Lord your God has given you. But when you cross over the Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God has given you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all your enemies round about so that you dwell in safety. Notice verse 11. That's the one you um, circled, right? Then there will be the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. There you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your heave offerings of your hand, and all your choice offerings which you vow to the Lord. All the choice offerings. In Judaism, there, there was a Hebrew letter 
there's 27 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and there's one specifically, and, and this will make sense when I get here. Um, these are the different letters of the alphabet. And notice the one that I've circled is the shin, and it has a, a Hebrew symbol on it, and you can see it up there. And uh, what's interesting, it, it looks like the letter, it looks, looks like a W, okay, but it stands for, it's a shin, and it means Shaddai. In, in Judaism, uh, or Judaism, they, 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 they equivalent, or the equivalent of that character is a name of God. It's Shaddai. And you'll see it in many other places. You'll see it on mezuzahs. You know, that little thing that Jews put on their doorposts of their homes where inside is uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, etc. It's inside that little mezuzah. But you notice on the mezuzah there, you can see uh, right in here, right, right around up here, you can see it's like the, that, that shin, that, that character of the Hebrew alphabet, which is a symbol, a name of God. It, it literally is a name for God, and it's Shaddai. And then you go on, and it says, and you know, interesting, remember when we read, it says, the place where God shall place his name there. A specific place, God's going to put his name there. What is the name of God? One of his names is Shaddai. And that, that name is a Hebrew letter, right? Equivalent to a Hebrew letter, the Shin. And I want to show you something that's really cool, because Israel, if you even look at the typography of the land, you'll see that up here, you can see the Temple Mount right up here. And right along the side here is the Kidron Valley. And over on the other side, uh, from your perspective, on the right side of this is the Mount of Olives over in this area here, right? And then so you got this Kidron Valley, and then you got this Hinnom Valley, which is down here, and it goes all the way up in here. So this is the Hinnom Valley where they would sacrifice and put the remains of their kids. They caused them to pass through the fire. This is where they'd bury them. It's a trash heap. You dig down deep enough, and you're going to find all kinds of interesting things in that area. But there's also this Tyropian Valley, which is right in here. But this letter, the, the very geography of the land, looks like a shin for Shaddai, God. And so even his name is imprinted in the land itself. This is my land, he says. Jerusalem is mine. You can have all the rest of it. It belongs to me anyway, but I'm going to put my name there. This is where I'm going to be worshipped. And he even made sure that the contour of the land would actually show that this belongs to God. This belongs to Shaddai, the Almighty God. That's what it means, Shaddai. And you can see it. And you can also see it in here, too. I just made, this is just another uh, a look of it. You can see the Kidron over here. Again, the Hinnom Valley going up here like this, and the Tyropian Valley going right through here. And it's a shin. It looks like a shin. Where he places his name. Where he places his name. That's where he will be worshipped. And it's interesting, too, because the shin, it's, uh, it's also known in the priestly blessing. When the high priest would give the blessing over the children of Israel, it's recorded for us in Numbers chapter 6. It says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And when the high priest would do that, he would take his hands like this, and he would hold his hands, and it looked like a shin. And that's exactly what it looked like. And that's what they did. The high priest would do that as he would look out over the people, and he would do it just like that. Sometimes he would do it like that, and, or, or like this, and it would be just like that. And that's what he would do. And he would pray over the people. And that was what he would do when they would sing. And you can actually see the picture uh, from some of, the, some of the museums and stuff. They have this very same thing. You can see it. You know, there's, uh, there's this little diagram that I've seen, and one is going to really surprise you. Spock from Star Trek. 
Did you know, I put this in here for fun, but Spock, Leonard Nimoy, is a Russian Jew. His parents were Russian Jews. And Leonard Nimoy was a Jew. And so when he developed the Vulcan sign, which you saw in, in Star Trek, and you can see it here, he would take his, and, it, and the sign that he would say was live long and prosper, right? And that's what he would do. And that's exactly what the high priest did. That was no mistake. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Deuteronomy. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited format, Simply mention today's date when contacting our church office for ordering details. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location, and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. You can also listen to these messages on your mobile device by going to Calvary Chapel of Rochester on Google Play or Apple Podcast. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.